Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This will be the second lesson uh, in this part of this uh, study, uh, the Christian ministry, part 2. I know if you've sat under me as your pastor for any amount of time, uh, you understand uh, how important it is to you and I as members of a local gospel assembly that we understand why we're here. Our goal, our method, our message is to preach the gospel plainly and simplicity in simplicity and with honesty, in hope that if God has a people that fall under this realm of this gospel ministry, this message that declares Christ's person, his work, who he is, what he did, what he actually accomplished, where he is now, that he truly saves his people from their sins, and that he set them free from the law of sin and death. And knowing that is the method, and that's the message that we use, we come together every Sunday, I hope, in uh, essence, to preach that gospel to those that are sitting here that the Lord by His providence brings physically into our location, as well as those who by His providence, He, uh, in this great worldwide web that's out there now that we deal with, if there are any of his sheep, they'll hear this message, and he'll be pleased to call his people to true faith and true repentance. That's, that's our first primary goal when we come together. But in a secondary sense, we come together because of what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. This ministry is not the ministry of Richard Warmack. You know, I know, I know I was raised, you know, when I first got in the quote-unquote ministry uh, back in the middle 80s, you know, my, my goal... My desire, my design was to be somebody. You know, to have a, I was not content. Uh, put it like this, Heiko Baptist Church up in Heiko, now that's H-I-C-O, with population just about Bart and Sally Barfield and their family and a few more. That was not the be-all, end-all for me. My goal was much higher than that, Kenny. My design when I got into ministry is I was going to use that church as a stepping stone to maybe move to a little bit bigger church, and then eventually my goal was to get to Mid-American Seminary, which was a Reformed Calvinistic Southern Baptist Seminary in Memphis, Tennessee, still is today, to get there, to get my master's degree, to get my doctorate degree, and ultimately my goal was to get back because I always wanted to go home. I wanted to go back to Manny. I don't know why, but I wanted to go back to Manny. And I wanted to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. And the only way the First Baptist Church, like most First Baptist churches and most big congregational Baptist churches are, you got to have that little two letters in front of your name or they won't even consider hiring you. Had to have a DR. And my mom was just thrilled to death. And that was, that was the plan. And... You know, men that follow that that plan, and that's what I'll tell you, it's a business to them. It's a job, it's an occupation. They they get a paycheck, I mean, which I do too, but it's this it's not about just the paycheck. It's about it's about building a bigger, better ministry, having more followers, being able to say, Well, I pastor, you know, I mean, go to your church. I, I I've told you that so many, so many times I run into people and they find out I'm a pastor, you know what the first question is they always ask. 
How many attend? What does that matter? How many does it take to make a church? <laughs> but that's the first question. How many do you have? I, about, about, about 25, 35 folks. How long y'all been together? 36 years. How many did y'all have when y'all started? About 25, 30 folks. <laughs> they like, you had grown? You hadn't prospered? How can the Lord be in something like that? Well, I tell you what, the Lord has been gracious to use this little ministry here. And it's our ministry. It's, it's the gospel ministry of Grace Baptist Church. I got the, got the internet report in for certain, just, just sermon audio. I, YouTube confuses me. I don't know how to determine off the analytics how many watch or do not watch. But this, this month, again, we, on, over sermon audio, we reached over 3,800 people. Had 3,800 messages downloaded. We reached 39 of 50 states in 27 countries out of this place. And folks, I have had people contact me. Scott called me this morning. He didn't call me. He sent me a voice message this morning over Facebook. And he said, I, I, he said, I am so excited. He said, I think this is the most excited I've ever been to get in the pulpit this Sunday and preach the gospel. Because I'm going to tell you what, it has been exciting to me, all these people out there in the nether regions of this world, that the Lord has been pleased to bring to Scott and to me and to Sonny and to Bill and to others just filled with joy. I, the, the young couple from Australia, they joined us Wednesday night for the Zoom Bible meeting. We sat around after most of the people left, me and Kenny and several of them. We talked for almost another hour. They called me. I was sitting there at my computer Friday, and uh, I was typing on my computer, and all of a sudden my phone went to ringing. If you ever, ever got a Facebook Messenger call, it's the weirdest ring you've ever heard in your life. And I looked down, and my phone was going off, and it said, uh, David, Dave. And I knew who it was, and it was Dave and Lauren. They called. We talked for about an hour and a half Friday afternoon. Just, and I, they're just they're thrilled and excited and so encouraged over what the freedom that they have, the liberty that the Lord has been pleased to give them. And, folks, I hope you realize how blessed we are individually as well as collectively as a, a local assembly to have a place to go and gather and worship this God and have this gospel preached without any fear of retribution by anybody outside of these four walls at this present time. Because there are people out there that you, you might know about, but most of them you don't know about, that are sitting out in places where there's no gospel, no churches, they have no friends. Now, they got people that they associate with, but not friends as brothers and sisters in Christ, isolated from this world, that would give everything to be where you are. They would. I know they would because they've told me so. Yeah, what a blessed privilege to be put in a place where you can hear the gospel. And we ought to avail ourselves of every opportunity we have to hear this message for its encouragement and its strengthening and it's admonishment for us to do the work. See? And that's what we come here together for. It's not so I can stand up here in this first hour and then stand again in the second hour and flap my jaws for 40 minutes in the first hour and 30-something minutes in the second hour and then go home. 
I hope you take these things to heart. And we're going to see that this morning. These gifts that God's given to the church, these, these apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers, it's not so that they could be exalted and held in high esteem by the world or even by other brothers and sisters in Christ. It was for the work of the ministry, for the preparation of God's people individually and collectively to do what one man or 12 men couldn't possibly do on their own. I cannot be where you work at. Matter of fact, they wouldn't want me where you work at. I can't be in every pulpit. You can't either. I can't, I can't be sitting around the table with your children. You hear me? Or your mom or dad or your grandparents or your brothers or your siblings, your, your friends that you hang out with in this world that you consider friends. I got them too. I can't be there. But you're there. Huh? And you need to be prepared. And I hope and I pray through a continual, habitual, repetitive teaching that you are prepared to be ready to give to every man a reason of the hope that lies in you if they ask with meekness and fear. Like I told you last Sunday morning, doesn't mean go in and Cram it down their throat and make them angry. But folks, you need to be ready. And I, you're not doing your friends any good by letting them think that everything's all right when in reality everything ain't all right. Now notice what he says here. We, we, you know, we left off last week. We covered verses 7 through 10. And as we saw in those verses, and we're going to read them here in just a minute, the goal... Now, this is the thing. The goal of Christ's condescension, him, him, you think about that. This person who is the eternal God, the everlasting Father, he stepped out of eternity, took into union with his holy, eternal divinity, sinless humanity, and walked among us. What a condescension to leave the, the presence of the Father and the Spirit and come down here among sinful man and walk among them. Huh? But the goal of his condescension, and then not only his condescension, he came down, but what did he do? He came here to do a work, and when he had completed the work, what did, what did he do? He went back. He ascended. And when he ascended, what did he do? He took his rightful place as the Lord and Master. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high for to give eternal life to everyone that God the Father gave him. So his condescension as well as his ascension was for one singular purpose. It was like what we read last week that he might fulfill fill all things in all, in every one of God's children. His goal was not only that he might fulfill all the types and all the prophets, Prophecies of the Old Testament. But listen, his, his goal also was that he might continually fill the duties of his office as prophet, as our priest, and as our king, and in actually making each and every one of his children in each successive generation full partakers. This is his, this is his goal. 
<clears throat> make all of his elect full partakers of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, those he purchased for them by his very obedience unto death. <coughs> I'm about choked to death on that. It's also that he might fulfill all the means necessary for the growth <coughs> and the maturity of his church. Listen to what Paul wrote. But unto every one of us, is given grace. How many? All just the few isolated ones, those that excel more than others, those that put forth more effort and energy, you know, those that are more sincere than others. No, he says what? He gives grace to everyone, every one of his children. How? <clears throat> According to the measure of the gift of Christ. So whatever you are, you, like Paul, every one of us, we are what we are. How? By the grace of God. I didn't put myself into this office. You didn't put yourself in this pew sitting in front of me. If you're here today and you know Christ and you love Christ, it's not of your own free will and accord. It's the gift of grace. Wherefore, since, since he's given to every one of us this gift of, gift of grace according to the measure that he's determined to give, because I think of it, in, in the church we're many members, but what are we? One body. And you know, he told those in Corinth that you know, the, the arm can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Because I tell you, what good arm without a hand? What good's a hand without fingers? Matter of fact, we'll go one further. The thing that separates us from other creatures is what have we got? What's a hand without a thumb? See? You need every part of it. So there, even though there are some meager parts in the family of God, every one of them are intricately important, and they're put in that role according to God's grace. He says, wherefore, he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and thank God for this, he gave gifts. He gave gifts unto men. In our text today, you know what he does? He tells us what these gifts are. It's not a mansion over the hilltop. It's not a bank full of money. It's not even good health, folks. That's not the gift. I mean, if you've got that gift, that's a, that's a gift indeed. If we have good health, if we we're able to provide, the Lord has given us what we need to provide for our needs our, not our wants, but our needs in this life, that's a blessing. But I'm going to tell you what, if, if you're poor, if you're poor, you're still blessed to God, right? Notice the gifts. Here, here's the gifts. And these gifts, he gave them for this specific reason, for the growth and edification of his church. Notice what he says. And he gave some apostles... Notice that. What's the first one that he mentions? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice the way the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write this verse. What did he start off with? And he gave some. Now, the first gift he gave to his church, what was it? Apostles. Remember the first time I heard the gospel. I got this written in my notes in just a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and say it now. I, Henry was preaching there on 2 Corinthians 5, 
and he, he went through the entire chapter till he got down to verse 17, and he was talking about the apostles, and he, he, he made this statement. He said, the, there, there are no more apostles. The apostles, what's, where, they're all dead and gone. When the last, when John died, that was the end of the apostleship. They never appointed any more apostles. So one thing we know for certain, if anybody claims to be an apostle of God, they're not a God. The apostles are all dead and gone. And so this tells us, first of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ, this ascended Christ, what did he do? What was the first thing he did when he ascended? He gave gifts. He gave gifts by which he qualified. Now think about this. He qualified his apostles to be just that, to be his apostles. They were apostles, and how do we know they were apostles? First of all, there were three qualifications to be an apostle. First of all, you know what you had to do? You had to have seen the Lord of glory with your physical eyes. Secondly, what did you have to do? You had to get your gospel directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, you had to be commissioned and called to this office by the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Paul, who was born out of due time, according to his own words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When our Lord sent Ananias to talk to him, he told him, you go tell him. You know, Ananias was scared to death of him. And he said, he's a chosen vessel unto me to preach the gospel to where? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. You think about it, the apostles were peculiarly and this is important, infallibly guided by the Spirit of God. And they had power, and they, they did. They had power to work miracles, which was not for the miracles' sake, so people could stand in amazement. What did the miracles, all these sign gifts that these apostles had, what did it do? It confirmed they were sent of God. What's our confirmation that we're sent of God? We have what? The Word of God. Back then, when the apostleship was established, what, what scriptures did they have? If any, in their personal possession. I mean, you weren't walking around with a pocket-sized septu- I mean, Old Testament version of the... What, how many books are there in the Old Testament? 30, 30, 39, I think. 39, something like that. I mean, you, do, you didn't have a personal rendition of it. They were on scrolls, right? And, but here's the thing. They were sent forth to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We, we've got written down what the gospel message is. They just had to declare it. Many of them wrote it. And we know they were infallible in their writing because Why? Because if, if God didn't somehow miraculously make them infallible, what do we have to do about this book? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God. Paul wrote it. Peter wrote it. James wrote it. John wrote it. But who, who moved them? Holy men of God. What? He moved them in a mysterious way. He guided them by His Spirit. They had these work, they were able to work these miracles that confirmed exactly who they, nobody could question who they were because of the miracles. 
Same way our Lord Jesus Christ. He did the miracles what the miracles confirmed. I'm exactly who I say I am. I'm the Christ, Son of God. And these apostles performed these miracles to confirm what? We are his messengers. We're sent forth by this God, by this Christ. The Holy Spirit, by these gifts, revealed the apostles. They had the authority, and they were the only ones back then, had the authority to go everywhere, to go everywhere and preach the gospel. And they were the ones that planted the first churches. The apostles were. The apostles weren't, they, they weren't confined to one. You wouldn't have had an apostle of Grace Family Church. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And he preached to the Jews as well, but his, his office was where? To the Gentiles. Peter's office primarily, with the exception of Cornelius and a few others, whose was his too? To the Jew. And th this was the first and chief office in the church, and it was of an extraordinary kind of office. Paul wrote of it in this way. He says, Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and of the household of God. And listen to this. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles, gave some apostles, and on the foundation of the prophet, gave some apostles, some prophets. Now like I said a moment ago, the apostles office has ceased. It's no longer needed. It was only there for a unique period of time. And even though the apostles, with the exception of Paul, were called to this office of an apostle before Christ ascended, none of them, now this is so important, none of them had received the fullness of the Spirit until Christ's ascension. It doesn't mean they didn't have the Spirit. But they, didn't, they, they did not have the fullness of the Spirit that equipped them with these gifts that qualified them for the office God had appointed them to. Folks, we have to be very careful in understanding. I know this much. With that, if any man has not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Old Testament or new? Huh? Before the cross, after the cross. You've got to be born again. Now you do. And I, some, for some reason, some people seem to think that the new birth didn't start occurring until after Pentecost. Our Lord told Nicodemus before Pentecost, what have you got to do? And we have evidence of sinners that are born again. One of the biggest evidence that we have of a sinner born again is that man Saul of Tarsus is right in this. He went from not able, he hating Christ, to what did he do? He loves Christ, and adores Christ, and preaches Christ, and gives his life for Christ, a Christ before he wouldn't give the time of day to. What is that? Oh, he just, he got serious. No, he was born again. Abraham, a stargazer, what did he do? He believed God. How did he do that? Of his own free will and accord. Not on your life. The Spirit of God moved him to believe. Caused him to rest and rely. He was kept by the power of God. Same power that keeps us kept every Old Testament saint. All of them. But here's the thing. 
after the ascension, what did they receive? They received the fullness of the Spirit. And it was a fulfillment. You know what it was a fulfillment of? It was a fulfillment of a prophecy made by Joel. I wrote this into my notes this morning. I hope I can find it. I had to actually, kids, you'd be proud of me. I had to look up in the... <laughs> I thought I had it in my head. I had to look up where Joel was. That's page 964 in, in my Thompson Chain reference. But I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. I was sitting there thinking, what book is it? But let's see it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's what's happened on the day of Pentecost. Remember the, the tongues of cloven fire? Uh-huh. You think about it. These men called to be apostles, which literally translate, that word apostle means a messenger, a delegate, one sent forth with orders. He didn't say, Paul, if you would. Tell Ananias, go ask Paul if he's willing to go be my apostle to the Gentiles. He said, you go tell him what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. He ordered him to. And he went forth as one with orders, and he obeyed the heavenly direction. But here's the second office. And he gave some prophets. The gift of, of some prophets, it, it's not referring to private members in the church who, you know, nowadays we see all these idiots in all these, these uh, charismatic churches. They, I got the gift of prophecy, you know. And I, I, that's not what it's not talking about that everybody within the church, certain various men and women have this gift to be able to prophesy, teach in a private way. That's not what it's talking about. And it's also not talking about ordinary ministers in the world. That's not what these prophets were. Those called to this office of a prophet, they had an extraordinary, peculiar gift of interpreting the scriptures that they had, the Old Testament, as well as they could tell and interpret and point out things that were fulfillments of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And folks, here's something else. Hey, write these two verses down. I don't have time to look at They had the ability to foretell things to come. Write down Acts chapter 11, verse 27, 28. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, this was a unique gift. They could tell things that were going to happen in the future. And it's not somebody sitting around a crystal ball with candles and incense burning and having a seance. By the Spirit of God, they saw things that were about to occur. But that brings us to the third office. He said, and they gave some evangelists. This word evangelist means the bringer of good tidings are the name given to New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ who were not apostles. Remember, there's, there's a distinction of it. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. This office doesn't so much mean those who were the writers of the Gospels as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were. 
some of which were apostles. They were. Luke wasn't. Matthew and Mark wasn't. John. Or Luke Mark wasn't. Matthew, Mark. Matthew and Luke and John were. These evangelists were preachers of the gospel, and their role was distinct from the ordinary ministers of it. And here's the thing that I found in looking at that this week. They, they, they were below the apostles, and yet they were above pastor teachers. These evangelists were the companions of the apostles. They were assistants to the apostles, and they subserved them in their work. Some of these evangelists, you know they were? Philip was an evangelist. Timothy was an evangelist. He told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. They weren't, they weren't fixed and stayed in ministry. They weren't over a local assembly in any particular place is the next office that we're going to look at. But they were sent here and there and everywhere, just like the apostles were, and they were sent they were sent. You know who sent them out? The apostles sent them out. It's led by the Spirit. They sent them, you go here, you go there. Do the work of the evangelist. Preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit by Paul tells us next that there's another gift given to God, his church, his local assembly for the work of the ministry. God, You think about it. God has given his church the office of some pastor and teachers. And I, you know, I've always heard this, and... I think the proof is is in the pudding. If you know, because that word and some pastors and teachers, that, that word and literally translated is even. Some pastors, even teachers. I've heard some men say, Well, I I can preach, but I can't teach. Well, then you don't have the gift of a pastor teacher. We the man called to this role, he's a pastor teacher, Kenny. That's what he is. Just as God gave church evangelists and he gave them prophets and he gave them apostles in the past what did he give to his church pastor teachers and I know it's one office because if you'll notice every one of these offices some pastors some some evangelists I mean some apostles some prophets some evangelists and then some pastors why not if he, if he was talking about as distinct offices he had just said some pastors and some teachers. But he says what? Some pastors, even teachers. And look at verse 12. What's their role? For the perfecting of the saints. You see that? That word perfecting means maturing. The maturing of the saints for their role. What's their? What's your role? What's our role? Because I include myself for you. I might be the pastor teacher, but I'm writing this thing with you. I, when, I, when we walk out this door today, I won't be back in this pulpit till next Sunday. And I'm going to meet neighbors. I'm going to talk with friends. I'm going to talk with family. I'm going to have people call me that contact me off the Internet. You know? And I'm in that role too. What am I? I'm a part of this, this local ministry. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All these offices, and particularly this office of the pastor teacher, was given for one purpose. Not to perfect the saint positionally or ultimately, but what's, what's my role? Huh? What's every pastor teacher's role? To mature the saint here and now. 
to equip you. As far as the cause and ground of salvation, I can't perfect you there. Christ is our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. And all of the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, all growth in grace, all spiritual maturity is the direct effect and fruit of Christ's righteousness imputed, which is the ground of our state, our stand, our position before God. And see, it's because of our standing before God in Christ that we have the work of the Spirit in us, which brings us to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. So the agent for the perfecting of the saints is not the pastor teacher. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing. No man, you hear me? No man can perfect anybody. It's impossible. The only impact you or me or anybody can have on somebody else's maturity is when the Holy Spirit's working through us to relay the truths that comfort and encourage and admonish them. That's the only, that's the only role we have. We are weak vessels of clay that God uses to speak one to another. So that means that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in the center, there can't be any growth in grace and there can't be any maturity in the faith. Christ told Nicodemus two times, what do you have to be? You've got to be born again to see. You've got to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And unless a sinner is born again, they can't grow, they can't mature, because it comes back to that age-old question, what can a dead man do? They're dead in trespasses and sin. How are you going to get something that's dead to mature? It's impossible. But this doesn't mean that the process is mystical because the Holy Spirit works in us through His Word. The main tool in growth and grace and knowledge of the truth is what? It's the Word of God. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's using those things that he's given us to mature us. And it, it, I say this in close. It's a continual process. Your whole life is a child of God. Paul told us in the book of Hebrews, he says, for everyone that useth milk, now listen, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are a full age, that's mature saints that have grown in grace and knowledge of the truth, been matured or perfected by the, through the work of the ministry, are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now we'll come back. We'll stop there this morning. We'll come back, pick up next time in verse 13. You're dismissed, the worshiper. I appreciate your presence.